Well, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. And if you're part of our Mercy Hill family, uh, just as, a, as one of your pastors, I want to I say how much I miss you, and I look forward to us being together. It's really difficult, uh, especially on days like this, for, for us to be apart. I know that. Uh, but there's actually been a couple things over the past couple days that have been really encouraging to me. Uh, miracles, I saw you, you're watching, hopefully your internet is holding out for you, and, and I just want to say thank you. Friday, they came around and they egged a bunch of our houses. Uh, Liam had a blast searching for the little plastic eggs in our, in our yard, and, and that was just really encouraging, more than, more than I can even say. And then yesterday, on a, on a light note, um, uh, we, uh, as a family, we've got six kids, and so we go through a lot of toilet paper. And yesterday, I was able to find the mother load of toilet paper at Value Market in Mount Washington. They had a huge supply and allowed me to take away like a case. And it was funny. I, like, I'm thanking the manager out in the parking lot. I'm, I'm going up to some stranger excited about toilet paper. And we're just kind of joking about that we've come to that now. And it dawned on me, though, that, man, if, if I get that excited about toilet paper, how much more excited should we be for the resurrection? Uh, Easter is by far the greatest day of the year because it's a day where we celebrate Jesus Christ conquering sin, conquering death, conquering Satan. And, and we focus and we highlight the most beautiful and glorious truths of the gospel today. And so I'm glad you're here with us. Uh, today I'm actually going to be emphasizing and focusing in on a, an ingredient in the gospel that we we don't talk nearly enough about. Uh, as a church, we do a pretty good job of talking about how we are saved and what we're saved from, but we don't talk nearly enough about what we're saved for. Uh, for example, if you've been part of our membership class, especially recently, hopefully you've memorized the four points of the gospel that we kind of beat into your heads uh, that, that God is the righteous creator, that we are sinful man, that Jesus is our savior, and our response should be of repentance and faith. And those are four really good, concise points that help us to explain the gospel and how we're saved and what we're saved from, but they fall short of talking about what that means for the here and now. It, it's kind of like uh, often when we talk about the gospel, it's kind of like having a, a, a jelly donut, but without the jelly. We, we, we're missing a key ingredient when we talk about the gospel often. And, I mean, you can eat the, the donut and it's, it's going to taste okay, but it's missing the, the best part, the, 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 what makes it sweet. When we fail to talk about how the gospel impacts us and how the resurrection impacts us, in the here and now, we're, we're taking away some of the sweetest parts of what it means to be a Christian. And so today, we're going we're gonna to focus in on that. In fact, Paul Tripp talks about this as the gospel gap, uh, that, that often when we talk about salvation, we talk about what's happened to us or for us by Jesus in the past, and, and we talk about the hope that we have in the future, we talk about heaven, and when it comes to the resurrection, we do the same thing often. We talk about how the resurrection is something that happened in the past to Jesus, and we talk about in the future, someday, we will experience a resurrection of our own, but we fail to talk about how the resurrection impacts our lives in the here and now. We live in this gap between the past and the future. 
Today's passage, and open up your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. And in Colossians chapter 3, Paul makes this profound statement that we have already been raised with Christ, and now we are hidden with Christ in God. He's saying that the resurrection is a present reality, and that means that our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. And I believe that that is the missing ingredient in the gospel. I I believe that we don't talk about that nearly enough. And it's called our union with Christ. That's what theologians call it. It's our, our union with Christ, that we have died with him, that we've been raised with him. In other words, the resurrection is not simply something that happened to Jesus in the past, and it's not simply something that we look forward to in the future. It is a present reality. And if we can wrap our heads around that, it has massive implications for the here and now. Maybe you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, and you feel this disconnect. You feel this disconnect like you you know the truths in your head, but there seems to be this disconnect between your head and your heart. Or maybe the disconnect you feel is between what you say you believe and then how you actually act or how you feel. And, and so you wonder, is there more to this Christian life that I'm, I'm just not getting? Or, or, or if you're honest, you've, you're struggling with doubts right now and you're struggling with fears right now. And if that's you, I pray that this message will help you to see with new eyes, that the gospel will be sweeter and more satisfying than it's ever been before. So let me pray and then we'll dive in. Father, We need new eyes. We need spiritual eyes to see beyond what we can see with our physical eyes. We need to be able to see your glory and your beauty. And I pray that as we open up your word, that your Holy Spirit would infiltrate our hearts and would give us spiritual eyes to see and imagine what it means to be united to you in your resurrection. Father, thank you so much for your word. Use it to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, and I want to give you a little bit of context before we read this passage. Colossians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that had bought into a lie. Uh, They bought into this lie, and they started measuring their Christian maturity based on worldly standards, based on worldly wisdoms. And, And so, What they were doing is they were going back to these old Jewish traditions and asking themselves, okay, am I being a good Jew? And that's how they were measuring whether or not they were being a good Christian. And and it's kind of like their their standard was so far off. It's kind of like trying to measure length in gallons, right? Okay, and so uh, I remember when I was a middle school teacher, almost every day a student would ask me, Mr. Young, how tall are you? To the point where I got tired of answering that question, so I started having fun with it, and I would say, I would answer the question by saying, I'm five foot 16, and they would always look at me kind of weird, and uh, some of them would get it, though, and they would do the math, and they were like, oh, you're six foot four, but at least I was using a, a measurement of length. I mean, w- imagine if I, I said instead, well, I'm about 10 gallons tall. I mean, what does that mean? It doesn't make any sense at all, because gallons is, doesn't measure length, it measures volume, and so If we're measuring our Christian maturity by worldly standards, we're measuring them by the the wrong standard. Uh, Our standard for good is vastly different 
than God's. And more than likely, you're probably not measuring your Christian maturity based on whether or not you're eating kosher or whether or not you're uh, following the, the Jewish guidelines for the Sabbath day. But it's still very tempting for us, even as Christians, to try to measure our, our growth in Christ, our maturity in Christ, based on worldly standards that we can see and that we can somewhat control. And what happens then is we naturally start looking at our relationship with God through the lens of our circumstances. And so if everything's going good and we feel like we're being successful in following our rules that we've set up, then we feel like God approves of us. We, we feel like God loves us. But if things start going wrong, if, if our circumstances are bad and we feel like a failure, we, we also feel like God is potentially judging us, and maybe he doesn't love us as much as we thought. And, and maybe right now, you're sitting there worried to death because you might get this virus, and you think that God will give you this virus because he is going to judge your sins. Well, in the book of Colossians, what Paul is arguing is that you're actually dead to that kind of thinking, if you're in Christ, you no longer have to think that way. You're, you're dead to those lies. You're dead to those kind of fears. In fact, Wayne read in our call to worship earlier, chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, this Christ set aside, doing what? Nailing it to the cross. Our debt has been paid. And so, yes, we live in a fallen world. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. That's to be expected, but that doesn't mean that Jesus is punishing us right now. If you're in Christ, your sins are totally forgiven. You need not fear God's punishment. Jesus has paid the debt. And in light of that glorious truth, we come to chapter 3 in the book of Colossians. And this is what we read in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And again, notice the language at the beginning of this chapter. Look back at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. Paul is saying that the resurrection is something if you are a believer, it's already happened to you, not just to Christ in the past, but it's all you've experienced. It's a present reality. If you, it means you've already been raised with Christ. What does that mean, though? Uh, this is the symbolism that we have in baptism. Like when we baptize someone, we, we put them all the way under the water to, to symbolize that their old life has died with Christ. And we don't leave them under the water, not just because they would drown, but because we want to symbolize that they've been raised to new life in Christ. And that means they've got a, a, a whole new disposition. They're, they're a new creation, Paul says. They, they've got a new heart. Theologians call this regeneration. Jesus says it this way, you've been born again. It's kind of like you were a caterpillar and you went into a cocoon and you came out as a butterfly. Your whole nature is completely different. You'll never be the same. You, you start to think differently. You start to 
You start to feel differently. You start to love differently. Your motives in life change. Your purpose in life change. Your hope begins to change. And so maybe the most important question that you can ask right now on this Easter Sunday is whether or not you truly have been raised with Christ to new life. And I want to ask you a, a few very pointed questions that will help you determine whether or not you've truly been raised with Christ, if you have a new life in Christ. And if you can answer yes to all these questions, you can be assured that you have a new life in Christ. Question number one, do you believe that, that God is the righteous creator of the universe? Do you believe that he is both loving and just and he's holy? And so there's going to be a consequence for sin. Secondly, do you believe that you truly are a sinner who has rebelled against a holy, just God and rightfully deserves his wrath? Third, do you believe that Jesus is truly God's son that came to earth, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, never sinned, and yet he died on the cross to pay the penalty that you deserve because of your sins, and he absorbed the wrath of God? And then finally, have you responded in repentance and asked for forgiveness and surrendered your life to Christ? In other words, have you trusted in Jesus? Have you totally depended on Jesus for your salvation and committed to following him in obedience? If your answers to those questions are yes, then your life will never be the same. Now, that doesn't mean you're you're perfect right now. I mean, I wish that I could just snap my fingers and all of my sinful tendencies would just disappear. But being raised with Christ to new life doesn't mean that you automatically become sinless right away. There's a refining process. And in fact, that refining process often gets sped up during trials like, in, like that we're in the midst of right now. Uh, theologians call this process sanctification which is what Paul is getting at in this passage here. Look back at verse 1. We see our responsibility. And so he says, If then you you have been raised with Christ, what are we supposed to do? Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And so there's two commands there. You're to seek the things that are above. Your translation might say to set your hearts on the things above. And so we're supposed to set our hearts and our minds on the things that are above. So how do we do that? How do we do that? We do that through faith. And we do that really through our imagination, okay, our, our God-given imagination. Now, imagination. now, many people think, when, when, when I say the word imagination, you might be thinking like make-believe, or you might be thinking... Uh, uh, like pretend. Often when we think of imagination, we think of things that we're making up that are not really true. But imagination isn't just about make-believe. We use our imagination all the time. Every time you remember something in the past, you use your imagination to remember that. Uh, When you're renovating your house, right? I remember when we were renovating this building, it took us a year and a half or two years to renovate it. What kept me going was that I could picture, I could imagine what it was going to look like eventually. Maybe right now you're imagining what you're going to eat for lunch. We use our imagination 
all the time. That, that's, that's, it's a, it's a God-given gift that we have. This is why uh, imagination, it's ignited when we listen to stories. This is why we love stories so much. Uh, kids have the best imagination. I mean, my, my three-year-old son, he is imagining all day long. In fact, a couple days ago, he was playing with a worm outside for like 45 minutes. And he was imagining that this worm was swimming, and then he imagined that this worm was walking a tightrope and then swinging on trapeze and going down a slide, and sadly, the worm wasn't feeling too well by the end of it. But he loves to use his imagination. And I wonder, when, when Jesus said that you have to be like a child, you have to have the faith of a child to come into my kingdom, I wonder if, at least at some level, he was talking about imagination. That we need to have, there's a, there's a connection between our imagination and faith. And as we get older, I think our imagination kind of fades a little bit, but we need to, we need to reignite it. Because unless we are able to really wrap our minds and our hearts around this union with Christ using our imagination, we're never going to fully experience the joy that, the, that we can have in Christ, the sweetness of the gospel. We need our God-given imaginations to be able to do that. This is why in this passage, when Paul says to set our hearts and our minds on the things above, he's not literally saying that we ought to crane our necks upwards and look at the heavens. He's saying that we need to use our God-given imagination and our faith to see beyond what we can see with our natural eyes. And Paul, what is he specifically saying that we ought to imagine? Look back at the text. Paul is saying that we ought to set our minds and our hearts on things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Why does he say that? Why does he say that? It's significant that Christ is sitting. That's a, that's a symbol that he's finished his job. He's done what he came to do. It's a, it's a visual representation of what he said on the cross when he says, it is finished. It's been paid in full. And the fact that he's at the right hand of God the Father, that was a, a position of authority and honor. You think about the Great Commission, and Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And then at the end, he says, and I'll be with you till the end of the age. In Romans 8, Paul says that Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He's like a lawyer, an advocate for us. And so this is what we're supposed to set our hearts and our mind on. This is what we're supposed to, by faith, imagine. We're, we're supposed to consistently delight in and imagine communing with Christ, being there with Him, totally forgiven, resting and trusting in Him, the one who has all authority and all honor, who is at the right hand of the Father as our advocate. We ought to imagine that and have faith and, and commune with Christ often. I think now more than ever we need to remember that because it is so easy right now for us to be consumed by the bad news and by the news reports and the, the, uh, the, the experts and what they're saying and the predictions and everything. In fact, this past week, Cam and I actually locked down our, our phones. We used the parental restrictions so to, to limit ourselves from being able to have access to news and social media. And more than importantly than that, we've been pressing into uh, communing with Christ and in, encouraging our, our kids to do the same. And we see why. 
In the next verses, verses 3 and 4, we see the reason we should be doing this, the reason we should be setting our hearts and our minds on things above rather than on, than on things on earth. Look at verse 3. Why? Because for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is our union. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And so we've got this amazing thing to look forward to. But what does He mean? That we've died. What have we died to? Earlier in, the, in chapter 2, Paul says that we've died to the elemental things of this world. In other words, we've died to the, the worldly thinking, the, the, the worldly comparisons, the worldly standards. And so we've got spiritual eyes now. We can see beyond the physical world. But also in Romans chapter 6, Paul says that we've, we've died to, to our sin. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And so not only have we died to worldly thinking, we've also died to the power of sin when we died with, with Christ. See, if you're in Christ, you've also been raised with Him. That also means that your old self has died to sin. Sin no longer holds power over you. The same power that defeated sin and rose Jesus from the grave dwells inside of you. And so next time you're, you're tempted, remember that. That you, you don't have to, to fall into that temptation. You've been raised with Christ. It's a glorious truth. Because now your life is hidden with Christ in God. That means your life is protected in God. In Christ, your life is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that if you are in God the Father's hands, he will never let you go. And then in verse 4, Paul goes even further than that. He says, when Christ who is your life, and that's kind of a strange phrase, but if you think about it, we, we, we use that phrase in our own lives. It's not unusual for us to say something is our life. When I was in high school, it wasn't unusual for me to say that basketball is my life. I mean, I, if I wasn't playing it, I was talking about it or I was thinking about it. I was dreaming about it. I was imagining it because I was remembering the last game or I was uh, imagining what I was going to do in the next game. And so I was always constantly thinking about and imagining basketball. And I, I would say basketball is my life. Well, what would you say right now is your life? What do, you, what do you imagine? Like, what's your default daydream? I think Paul would say, if you're a believer, Christ should be your life. That our relationship with Him should be that tight. And it's a relationship that's like no other relationship. Our, our relationship with Christ is so different. In fact, the word relationship really falls short because I can have a relationship with my wife, but I can also have a relationship with my dog. This is why I think theologians use the word union to describe this relationship. Uh, scripture uses several different metaphors to try to explain it. Jesus says that he's the vine and we are the branches, that we're so intertwined with him that, that we're dependent upon him for life. Uh, Paul describes it several different ways. He describes the relationship we have with Christ as he is the head and we are the body, again, that we're we're relying on Him. We're led by, by Him. 
Uh, he describes it as we are stones and Christ is the, the center stone that we're all leaning on him. And maybe the closest earthly relationship, and Paul describes uh, or compares our union as with Christ with the, the relationship we have in marriage. Uh, it's a covenant relationship that we're two become one. And so this is what it means to be united with Christ. This is what it means to have a union with Christ. It means that you are so united with Christ that what is His becomes ours and what's ours becomes His. And so His death is counted as our death. When He was raised, we were raised with Him. And so He takes all of our sin and He gives us all of His righteousness. And so that also means that we are in Him and He is in us. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that it's to your advantage that I go away so that the Holy Spirit would come. Because the only thing better than having Jesus right beside you is to have his spirit inside of you. And so God the Father, that means that God the Father loves you in the same way that he loves Jesus. If you're united with God, the only way that heaven can be taken away is if Jesus Christ is removed. And Jesus is not just your spokesman, that means. It means his very life is intertwined with yours in a mystical union. I mean, this means ultimate security. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you've been raised with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so, let me encourage you this Easter. Let me challenge you this Easter that if you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts and set your minds on the things above, specifically on Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Use your God-given imagination to believe and to see with spiritual eyes that Jesus is intimately united with you. And if you really want to dig deeper into this doctrine of the union that you have with Christ, I would encourage you just go on your Bible app or go on your computer and do a, a quick word search and put it in quotes, put it in quotes, uh, uh, in Christ or in Jesus or in Him. And you'll find some verses that, that don't talk about our union with Christ, but many of them do. And if you spent this week meditating on those specific verses, I think the gospel is going to be more sweeter in your life. And so I would encourage you to do that. Maybe today you're watching and uh, for the first time you're realizing that, you know what, I don't have a relationship with Christ. I've not been united with him and I recognize that I need to, I need to be united with Jesus. I would encourage you to take a next step in the description, like Wayne talked about before, in the description on Facebook Live, and you might have to click a little button that says see more to be able to get to that description or to get to this link, but there's a, a next step link. I would, if you have questions about salvation, if God is moving you to trust in Christ as your Savior and follow Him as Lord, if you want to get better connected to our church family, follow that link. And uh, we'll make sure that we respond. If you have prayer requests, follow that link. Write down your prayer requests. Not, and we are committed to, to praying for you during this time. And so 
Charles Spurgeon, I'm going to end with this. Charles Spurgeon once said, there is no joy in this world like union with Christ. And the more we can feel it, the happier we are. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for the joy that we have knowing that we have been raised with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a a greater sense of your presence, that you would give us a greater sense of communing with you as we move into communion right now. And I pray that we would be reminded often that you are with us and that you are for us. Help us use our God-given imagination to trust in you deeper, that the gospel would be sweeter because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.